Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Yes, it's still Northridge Church. Some of you walked in and you weren't sure, right? We blew your mind. You're like, whoa, where did Northridge Church go? Somebody else is here, right? Because this is just totally, we, we blew. I was watching minds being blown as you walked in. Everybody, it was like, walk in, freeze. I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. Like, and what's, isn't it amazing? Like 90 degrees can make every difference in the world, right? Uh, so yes, I, uh, we're, you're, you're welcome for blowing your mind this morning and uh, messing up your routine. So, uh, but seriously, welcome to Northridge Church. Really glad that you guys are all here uh, today. So we are in the last two weeks of the series called The Table. Now, this series is very simple. As I've said, every single Sunday that we've been in this series, it's very simple. The first thing that we need to understand about this series is that God invites every one of you to the table through a relationship with Jesus. Every one of you are invited by God into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus, which is why he died on the cross and rose from the grave for you. Now, the other part of this series is also very simple. If you accept that invitation, and it is an if because God has presented it, but it's just like any invitation, you have to accept it. If you accept the invitation by God to join him in relationship, then there are going to be some things that God wants you to be about, he wants you to do, and he wants you to be. And so things like he wants you to be in community. He wants you to be in prayer, be in God's word. He wants you to be generous. He wants you to be in worship. We talked about worship last week. He wants you to take steps in your faith, risks. One of the biggest things, in fact, we'll get into it a little bit today. Let me tell you that God wants you to step out of your comfort zone regularly. How many of you love that? How many of you, in fact, let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, as soon as you walked in and you saw it was different, you're like, "Woo! this is awesome. I have no idea where to sit. All right, I've got one. I've got one hand. I see that hand, Jeff. I see that hand, right? So one of you were excited, right? The truth is that we aren't really up for getting out of our comfort zone. Today is all about doing that. So today we're going to continue, and this topic of being a follower of Christ is so foundational, so critical. You literally cannot follow Jesus and not do this. It is impossible. You can't do it. Because if you stop doing this, if you don't do this, then you're literally not a follower of Christ in the way that Jesus says you need to be. Are you intrigued yet? I'm not going to give you the answer just yet. Let me give you the Bible story. All right? We're going to be in the Bible story where Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. We're going to be in John chapter 13. If you'd like to follow along, go ahead, jump there on your phone, whatever. It'll be on the screen as usual when we get there. But Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. He's going to be crucified the very next day. Jesus knows this. The disciples don't know this. 
So Jesus is kind of taking his last shots at the disciples, right? He's been with them for several years. He's been teaching them, prompting them, being an example to them. But now he's at the Last Supper, and this is kind of his final shots at them in person. And so they're at the table, and all of a sudden Jesus gets up and does something very weird. He gets up from the table, and he goes around, and he takes off his outer robe, and he bends down, and he grabs a wash basin, and he begins to, one by one, goes to the disciples, takes their feet from the table, and begins to wash their feet. Let me just ask you, how many of you get really excited and comfortable when somebody grabs your feet and starts washing them? How many of you have ever had somebody do that? Most of us haven't. You know why? Because you don't want them to touch your feet. Imagine how weird it was for Jesus to come over to one by one and wash the feet of the disciples around that table. And that's what he does. And so Jesus does this. And by the way, a lot of the disciples were really uncomfortable with this. In fact, we know the one who was the most uncomfortable was Peter. Peter wanted nothing to do with Jesus washing his feet, not because he didn't want Jesus to touch his stinky, smelly feet. He knew Jesus knew how smelly his feet were. He's Jesus. He knows. He doesn't even have to be close to your feet to know how bad your feet smell, right? Peter, that was not the concern. The concern was Jesus did not feel worthy to have the highest-ranking person in the universe, in the room, touching his feet because that was reserved for the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants. And Jesus, of all people, was the only one who should not be doing that. And he didn't want Jesus to stoop that low for him. And Peter says, no, Lord, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Whoa, okay, you can wash my feet. And then Jesus finishes washing each of the disciples' feet, and he goes back, he puts his outer garment back on, and he goes back and reclines at the table. And what I want to pick up the story is I want to pick up what he says right at that moment when he's just finished washing the disciples' feet. He takes his place back at the table. What does he say? That's where we're going to pick it up. So John chapter 13, verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, that's Jesus, and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Now, I'm going to pause there because I think, and I don't know this, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I wonder if there was a pause from Jesus after he asks this question. He washes their feet, he goes back to his place at the table, and then he sits down, uh, reclines at the table, and he says, do you understand what I just did? Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a classroom or a boardroom where the chairman of the board or the CEO or whoever's leading the meeting or whoever the teacher is in that classroom, have you ever been in a room and, and the person asks a question and it's kind of a hard question. People have ideas as to what the answer is, but nobody's willing to stick their neck out for it, right? And so everybody just kind of looks around, slinks down or whatever. And there's this awkward, like, who's going to go on the chopping block? Right? Have you ever been in that situation where nobody wants to answer, but everybody knows they should answer? I would imagine maybe this is that moment. Jesus has asked this question, and there's this pause, and the disciples are quiet. 
They don't know what to do with this situation. It's kind of like when you guys walked into church today. You had no idea where to go. They're like, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know what you just did. I mean, you washed our feet, but we know you're asking a deeper level question than that. And so nobody answers, and so Jesus continues. Verse 13. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. What is Jesus saying? He's very simply saying, you have put your hope and your trust, your faith. We use this word faith a lot, don't we? Jesus is saying, you have put your faith in me as your teacher and your Lord. In other words, the authority over your life. You're going to listen to me above everybody else in your life. And Jesus says, you've put your hope and your trust in me as teacher and Lord, and you are rightly doing that. You are correct in doing that. You can trust me. Your faith is well placed. That's what Jesus is saying. But then Jesus gets to the crux of what he's trying to say. Verses 14 and 15. This is, he goes on. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. There it is. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So here's the question that I want to answer today. What is the point that Jesus was making by washing the disciples' feet? What is the point that Jesus was making when he said these words after he washed their feet? What is the point that Jesus is trying to get across? Well, let me suggest that the point is very simple. The point is this, that faith and action go together. That you cannot have one without the other because then it's not really what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus' point is that we need to sacrifice our lives for him. Now, this is a hard concept, right? Because I don't know about you, but I like me. Right? Anybody else in the room, you like yourself? Some of you wouldn't admit, you're like, well, there are some things, my nose is a little crooked and whatever, like, right? You have all these these things about yourself that you don't like. But overall, I know, like, you think you're pretty good. I would agree. I think you are too. And I think that about myself. Overall, I'm, I'm okay. And what Jesus is saying in that moment is he's saying, that's great, you are awesome, you are valuable, you're amazing, your faith is correctly placed, but what I need you to hear loud and clear right now, Jesus is saying, is I'm about to leave, and they don't know that. In fact, the very next moment he talks about the person who's going to betray him. By the way, side note, I'm way off script here. Can you imagine Jesus is going around washing the feet of disciples, and one of the disciples that he washed was Judas? He knew literally in minutes, Judas is going to walk out of the room and go betray him. He knew Judas was false. He knew it. And he washed his feet anyway. The washing of the feet happened before he left. It's right after this that Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. 
A life of following Christ is a life of sacrificing, serving God. It's setting ourselves aside and replacing our authority, our decisions, our direction, our time, our money, our energy, our everything with God and allowing God to dictate who we are, what we do. And that is what Jesus was talking about. Now, Jesus, this is not the only time that Jesus tackles this, right? You guys understand this. Jesus tackles this all the time. Let me give you some examples, right? We could spend all day doing this, but I'm going to do three, okay? Uh, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says this. He says, let your good deeds, let your actions shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In other words, what? Your actions, your life, somebody should look at your life and see how you act, how you talk, what you do, and those things that you do, your actions should point people to Jesus. Are they? Are they? That's what Jesus was saying there. John 12, 26. This is actually a few minutes right before he washes the disciples' feet. So I just read when he washed the disciples' feet. This is what he says just before that, in that Last Supper. He says, anyone who wants to serve me, Jesus says, must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. You know what it takes for God to honor you? Serve him. Sacrifice for him. Now, here's the truth. God honored you before you ever gave him your sacrifice. Jesus died while we were still sinners. Jesus washed the feet of Judas even though he knew he was false. He was just playing a game. He was covering up who he really was and what he was really going to do. Jesus honors you before you give him any honor, but how does that continue? How do you receive the constant power and blessing of God in your life? By giving him your life and your actions and your sacrifice. One more, Matthew 20, 28. Jesus tells us one of the main reasons he came to this planet in physical human body form. He says, for even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I think that this is probably not a new concept for us, right? You've probably heard the sermons, you've probably heard the Bible talk about the fact that God wants us to serve him. That he wants us to sacrifice our life for him. This is probably not a new concept, but the question becomes, sometimes I know I get stuck in this, the question becomes, how do we do that in the modern context? Because here's what I think I know, I can't say for sure, but I think I know, I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't want me to go around washing people's feet. Right? Can I be honest? Like, if I show up at your workplace and be like, hey, I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. And uh, I brought some water with me. I'm going to just wash your feet real quick. Just keep typing away. You're good. I'm just going to wash your feet real quick. How many of you be like, yeah, my pastor's awesome? No, you're not. You're going to be like, I am never going back to that church again. Because <laughs> he's weird. 
I think we all recognize that the way that Jesus was serving the disciples in that moment, it meant everything to them because in that culture, washing somebody's feet was reserved for the lowest of the servants in the room. And Jesus intentionally humbled himself into the lowest possible position in that culture to do what was considered one of the most menial demeaning tasks in that culture and that was the reason he did it today though how do we serve god in the modern day context i think that's an important question let me offer some possibilities it could be that you begin to notice that your neighbor has to have surgery or maybe an ambulance visited their house and the reason you actually get involved is not some morbid thing of like what's going on but you get involved because you know now their yard's not going to be taken care of now the mail's not going to be checked now their kids maybe ha- need somebody to kind of keep an extra eye out for them and you go get involved because you know that they are going to be put out in their life and you're going to jump in Serving God looks like that when you notice somebody's in need and you jump in and help. It could be serving God looks like if those of you, we've got a lot of students in here. Elementary school, intermediate. We've got middle schoolers in here. We've got some of you in high school in here. Some of you uh, have just come out of college What would it look like to serve God in your school? What would it look like if you were to intentionally befriend that one student or those several students who seem to never have anybody in their corner, nobody ever talks to them, and everybody knows why, it's because they're weird. What would it look like? I'm not saying you have to go be best friends with them, hang out with them every weekend. Although if you want to, cool. What I am saying is, what would it look like for you to acknowledge their existence? What would it look like to not laugh at the jokes when people, other people are joking about them? What would it look like to walk away with a serious face and show your friends, I'm not going to roll like that. How powerful of a sacrifice and servant of God would that be? Because let's be honest, guys, in the room, if you're in school, are you going to take a hit for that? You will. Won't you? You know you will. That's why it's hard to do it. Because you're going to get made fun. You're going to get lumped in with the jokes now. Serving God might look like sending notes of encouragement, uh, written notes or emails or, or whatever the case is, text messages, right? We have this thing called smartphones, right? Maybe sending a note of encouragement to a friend, to a family member, even to somebody that you're not sure you like that much because you know they're going through a hard time. Sometimes serving God is just being encouraging to those around us, letting them see a glimpse of God's power and love in your own life through words, sending them a note of encouragement. Maybe it looks like paying for somebody's meal at a restaurant anonymously. Maybe, maybe serving God looks like paying for somebody behind you in the drive-thru. 
These are not new things, guys. What, maybe it's just being generous that way. Maybe it's taking the time to pray for someone in the moment. Okay, here, let me, let me encourage you. You guys know I've encouraged you about this before. And I know I'm digging in. This is scary ground. But instead of saying to someone, hey, I'll be praying for you. Instead of doing that, can I encourage you to do something? Ask them, can I pray for you right now? I think I've had, I kid you not, I've probably, I don't know how many times I've asked that question. Can I pray for you right now? I've asked that question a, a lot, right? I'm a pastor. <laughs> so that happens. It comes up a lot. I think in, in all of that, I, I dare say it might, it's probably hundreds. I, I have no idea. I've never kept track. But I think from what I remember, I've had one person say no. And that includes a lot of people that do not believe in God, like I do. I've probably only had one person say no. What would it look like to serve God and not just say you're going to pray for them, which is good, you should do that, but what would it look like to pray for them right there? Right? I've sometimes had to walk out of a store or out of an office building or out of a restaurant and around the corner so that we didn't, like, make a spectacle, right? Trust me, I don't, like, you know, in the middle of the restaurant, oh, Lord, everybody join in. Everybody lay hands on. Let's go. Mm. Right? No, you don't need to make a spectacle. It could be quiet. You don't even have to close your eyes so that nobody knows. Just put a hand on, pray. You're good. Maybe serving God looks like paying somebody's debt off for them. Maybe serving God looks like smiling or giving somebody a smile or a hug because you know that person rarely gets it from anybody else. See, God calls us to sacrifice and to serve all the time. So one of the ways that we can serve is what I just said, in everyday life, right? Things that like just everyday life. Let me just tell you, if you would just open your mind and open your heart to what God wants to do on a daily basis in your daily life, it should, you should not be waiting for a pastor to show up to pray for somebody at work. You know why? Because there are going to be thousands, tens of thousands of people who will miss out on blessing and prayer because there's no way I can be at every place. Would I actually love to do it? I would. There's just no way. That's why you're here. You're the body of Christ. You are God's hands. You are God's feet. You are God's voice. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a seat at the table, but God wants you to bring other people to the table. So one way that we do that is in everyday life. Now, the second part of serving God is more of what we would maybe consider to be the formal or traditional route. The way that you can also serve God is through and in your local church. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know of a good church in the area. Right? Like, like one of the ways that you can serve God is to give yourself in service to a local church and use your skills, use your abilities, use your time, use your energy, use your money, use your decision-making power, use whatever it is that you have to serve God in and through your local church and impact this community 
through the body of Christ, which is here. In fact, let me give you some examples. A lot of you don't know this. A lot of you know Jenny Valk passed just a couple months ago. A lot of you don't know this, but virtually every graphic you will see was designed by Jenny. She spent hours on a computer designing graphics for us all the time. Those Christmas signs back there, she designed those. Phenomenal talent. <laughs> she would get so angry with me sometimes because I would say, uh, it looks a little, uh, I, can we do this? Yes. <laughs> Your service to God doesn't have to be overtly visible. Can I be honest with you? The vast majority of you who serve, it's mostly not visible. Some of it is. Eileen, you're at the front door every Sunday. Everybody knows that. A lot of you don't know this, but if you go online, a lot of you do know this because you join us online when you can't be here. But Paul Vrudenhill has spent hours figuring out how to get the scripture and the videos and the, and the images over the top of the sermon. So it's not just me. And so when I refer to something, when you're online, you used to never be able to see any of the stuff I'm referring to. Now you can because he spent hours of his time sacrificing figuring that out. Right? We have people that lead the women's ministry, people that lead the men's ministry that nobody have, have ever met before. We have people reading the, uh, leading the Northridge Knitters. We have people leading the Northridge Riders. We are getting ready to start a new, brand new kind of focused prayer ministry. People are doing groundwork underneath that, and that's going to be coming out here fairly soon. So you understand, like, there are people doing tons of stuff all behind, the vast majority of it's behind the scenes. In fact, here, let me just tell you one of the most practical things, and this really hits home because you have a card on your chair. All right, seriously, look around for just a moment. Look around. What do you see? You see chairs, you see stage, you see sound system, you see screens, you see projectors, and you see rugs. You know what runs underneath those rugs? A whole lot of cords. Those of you that set up, you know, you're like, mm-hmm, there are a lot of cords in there, right? Let me just tell you, this doesn't magically happen. We don't say, God, set up our church. <laughs> ba -ba boom Thank you, Lord. And thanks for the new orientation. That's awesome. It doesn't just happen. You know what happens? We have people that come in every month uh, to set up and to tear down every single week. We've been doing this for nine and a half years. You realize we've done this nearly 500 times over. We need people to serve and to sacrifice for God. It doesn't, you don't have to come up and pray in front of everybody. You don't have to be able to preach a sermon. You don't have to be able to memorize all of the Bible to serve God. Whatever skill you have, maybe you're a tech person, maybe you're a detail person, maybe you're a people person, maybe you can raise money like nobody's business. Whatever it is, we all have skills. Every one of you has skills. God gave them to you for a reason. You're not here by accident, by the way. In fact, let me just say this. By the way, side note, I don't, I don't talk about them basically ever, but can I just say that my staff, 
is awesome. I get to serve with Rini, who happens to be my mom. She does a phenomenal job leading the worship team. My wife, Laura, you know, if anything's happening, she's got the administrative side down. If you wanted me to administrate, oh my goodness, we would have disappeared eight years ago. <laughs> Truth. Chris Bickett does a phenomenal job with the kids planning that and the Club 56, pouring into that. Paul, her husband, right by her side, faithfully sacrificing all the time. Nick and Leah, our newest ones, are knocking it out of the park. They've got new groups going. Leah's leading the charge behind the social media stuff. You've noticed our social media's ramped up. That's Leah. Okay. Marie, if you've gotten a call from Marie and had Marie pray for you, I don't have to tell you how awesome she is. Here's the deal, guys. Church is not to come and sit in. I know this is an uncomfortable moment now. Church is not something to sit in. It's something to give your life to. There is a reason you're at Northridge. You realize that? We are the body of Christ, and, and, and some of you are hands, some of you are feet, some of you are knees, some of you are elbows. Some of you are hair follicles. I'm getting weird, right? Some, whatever it is, but we are the body of Christ. And let me just tell you this. This is the truth. This is the truth. We've had people that have been serving here from the very beginning. Remember when we had a tiny little launch team, right? Naps, you know. You remember. You were here. And you know what? The Naps, there's Kelly running Probe Center right now. She's been doing this for years. <laughs> She's like, I know. <laughs> right? Brad and, the two, and his two boys, they're teenagers now. They come and set up on a regular basis on month. Now, here's the danger. I've been calling out people. I could spend, we could be here until supper time if I called each one of you out and explained what you guys are doing and how you're serving, leading groups, leading in youth, being involved, encouraging people. Like, it's, it's all across the board. You guys are doing phenomenal. So I'm not saying, this is not a sermon of, wow, we are doing terrible guys. Come on. That is not it. What I'm here to say is you guys are doing a phenomenal job. The only reason Northridge is where it is today, which is in a great place coming out of COVID. Let me tell you, other churches are struggling and we are doing phenomenal things. Uh, God is, God's hand is on us. And I'm thankful. We're doing, God is doing so many great things. But can I tell you something that's really important? Serving and sacrifice got us here, but God has way more for us to do starting from here on out. We are not even close to done. We haven't even scratched the surface of the top of the iceberg yet. And you know what we need in order to lean into the mission, to the things that God wants us to do as a church and in the ways to influence this community? I need, God needs, our church needs, our community needs, every one of you. Some of you don't believe that. It's true. You have something to offer that nobody in this room, nobody else in this church can offer. Because you're unique. God gifted you 
in specific ways for this reason. In fact, this might sound crazy, um, but one of the simplest ways that you can maybe serve God, and this is, this is going to be digging in, this is going to be stepping out of your zone a little bit, right? But one of the simplest ways is to let people know that you are a part of Northridge and you, that you love Northridge. Seriously, Leah has done a phenomenal job increasing our social media presence, right? Why do we do that, though? Do we do it because everybody else is on social media? No, we don't do it because just everybody else is doing it, so let's do that. Everybody else likes to scroll media. Let's do it, too. We're not doing that. The reason is because we know that if we put out quotes and videos and pictures and blah, 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 whatever the case is, of value that you guys can take that and you can push it and you can share it, you can like it, you can comment on it, and you can give it out to everybody that you know because there's a lot of people that you know that we don't know. And, in fact, let me, again, now I'm way off, but let me go to the Christmas signs, for example. We had a discussion about this as a staff. Should we do the Christmas signs again? Because last year we did it because of COVID, right? We're like, how can we spread the good news of Jesus and the hope and, and, the, and the, you know, all the love and all the excitement that we feel as followers of Christ? How can we do that being social distance and not meeting together on Sundays all the time, right? And we're like, I don't know. And so one of our Northridgers, a gal at Northridge, had this idea, what if we did Christmas signs? Now, to be honest, there's a lot of ideas that we just, we can't do or we don't feel like fits with our mission. But this is kind of one of those things where like during COVID, this makes sense. And so we leaned into it. Jenny got to work. <laughs> I'm sure she loved that. Hey, Jenny, guess what? I have an idea. <laughs> Actually, it's not mine. Right? And she designed this. And so then we put out the Christmas sign. So the staff, we said, should we do this again? Obviously, we're doing it again. Here's, there's two reasons. One, at any time that we possibly can, it's good to let people know where we stand with Jesus. Right? But then there's a second reason. And this is a really important one. We don't always think about this. But let's say the pastor has these signs, which I will, and puts them up in my yard, which I will. Nobody drives by, the, drives by the pastor's house and goes, ooh, look, he put up their church signs. That's so amazing. I think I'm going to go. No, they're not. You know what they're going to do? They're going to be like, oh, pastor put up his signs again. You know why? Because they expect me to. I'm the pastor at the church, right? I'm one of, one of the pastors on staff here. So of course I'm going to do that. That doesn't mean much to people. But you know what does? When they see you promoting Jesus and promoting Northridge. You know why it means something when you do? Because they look at you as normal. You know what they look at when they see me? I'm not normal. No, I, I mean... Uh, let me just tell you, no joke. We've had people come to Laura and I afterwards, after they've gotten to know us, we've become close friends and all that kind of stuff. They said, so when we found out you were a pastor and that you planted a church, we had red flags. This has not happened one time. This has happened many times. I'm not viewed as normal. Some of you know why. It's okay. I can take it. 
But no, seriously, what the value is, is when you have a sign in your yard, right? And, and, and I, I'm not trying to make light of this or, or, or more of this than it is. I'm just saying when somebody sees a sign in your yard and they go, we hung out with them on Friday night and they're, they seem pretty normal and they go to Northridge Church. We should ask them about that. Therein lies the power of you letting people know, I'm in with Northridge. I believe in what they're doing. I'm with Jesus. And they promote Jesus, which is why I promote them. See, this is not promoting like trying to fill seats. You understand that, right? This is because we believe we have the best message to give that there is in the world, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's why we promote what we do. Because what we promote is worth it. So the truth is that faith is good. Belief in Jesus, trusting that Jesus rose from the grave and that he died on the cross for your sins, faith is good. But can I tell you what it says in the book of James? Some of you know where I'm going already. The book of James tells us this. It says that even demons believe in Jesus. Do you realize that? If all you do is believe in Jesus, you're the same as the demons. I'm not saying you are a demon, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but if you believe in Jesus, that's good. You should. That's where it begins. But it has to go beyond that because even the demons believe in Jesus. What makes us different? What sets us apart? What sets us apart is action. Right? The demons believe in Jesus, and their action is to try to thwart him, try to undermine him and undermine followers of Christ. Our action should prove that Jesus is everything to us. In fact, it says this in June, James 2.17. Faith by itself isn't enough. Some of us don't even believe that theology, even though I quoted, I'm quoting Scripture. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, actions, it is dead and useless. That is some seriously harsh words. But it's true. I didn't make this up. This is straight out of Scripture. James 2.26 says this, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. In other words, we need both faith and action. We can't have one or the other. They have to go hand in hand. So uh, I want to show you a picture here. Uh, how many of you remember this stuff uh, from when you were in school? Ah, the, the laughing, because that tells me that a lot of you know this. Some of you math teachers in here, I know, you're cringing a little bit. You're like, oh, we do that electronically now. We, we do this in a modern way. I know, because <laughs> I've seen my kids go through it. This is my version. They do like this on the computer. It, seriously, it's the same thing. It's just in a really cool way, makes it look like a game, right? And this is really cool. But let, let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, your stomach knots just a little bit when you saw that? You know, can I be honest? Mine does too. And this is why. It's, it's because I am a crockpot. I'm not a microwave when, I come, when it comes to thinking and processing. I, okay, there's another word for that. It's called slow. <laughs> My wife will tell you like, oh man, he is preaching truth now. He is the slowest person on the planet, right? She used to think I was patient. Then we got married and she realizes, no, you're just slow. 
You're just slow. You're like a sloth, right? Um, and so when I would see, when it was like multiplication test, multiple, you know, multiplication table time, and you have to do it in like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, you know, it was like fast timed thing. Like you couldn't just sit there and do it. You had to do it fast. And there was a reason for that, right? And a good reason. But it was so stressful to me. I would have knots in my stomach. I would have to go visit the restroom after the multiplication test, right? But let me ask you this. Why did they do that? They did it for a good reason. We all know why they did that. Because practice makes you better and gives you confidence. I know my multiplication tables. And the reason is because I practice it a lot. I practiced it all the time because our teachers made us do that. They were good teachers. The same is true with your faith. Are you practicing it? Are you doing good deeds? Are you serving your church with your gifts and your abilities? Are your good deeds pointing people to Jesus? God calls us to serve and to sacrifice. It is the foundational, central piece of what God is about. What Jesus does for you, he asks you to do for him and for those around you. Will you serve? Will you sacrifice in a way that makes sense to you? You don't have to get up and preach. You don't have to memorize the entire Bible cover to cover. But you do. And I'm going to say this boldly. You do have to use your life to point people to Jesus in a real and practical way on a daily basis because that's what God asks you to do. Will you join Jesus and join our church in serving God and sacrificing for him. We need you. God wants you. Will you accept? Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge this morning that faith without action is dead and useless. We need to hear that, God, that faith without action is dead and useless. We need to be reminded that faith without action is dead and useless. We need to be reminded that just believing in you is not enough because it has to lead us to give, to sacrifice, to serve, to give ourselves up, to give our time up, to give our money up, to give our skills and our talents and our abilities for you, to you, and for others. 
Forgive me, Lord, for the times and the seasons when I have simply believed in you but have not acted like it. I've known that you're real from a mental, rational perspective, but I've not allowed it to take hold of my life and change who I am and what I'm doing and how I'm living. Remind us this week, God, that faith without action is dead and useless. Help us to be alive. Help us to point people to you. Help us to get involved. Help us not to sit on the sidelines, but to get in the game. Because eternity is on the line. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.